Welcome to another moment with Eric Fleming. I am your host, Eric Fleming. So I'm going to read this to you. It says, all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. So what I just read to you was section one of the 14th Amendment. And the reason why I read that is because that is the section that deals with a lot of these cases um, that allows people to be people. Um, it allows people to make decisions in their life. And some of those decisions may be tough. Some may not. But they're all personal. And regardless of what you might do in a situation doesn't give you necessarily the right to impose your will on somebody else to follow suit. You can influence people, but you can't compel them. And in the 14th Amendment, that first section is basically stating that the states can't do that. State government can't do that to you. Or it shouldn't. Anything that limits your life, liberty, or property without either due process or law without due process of law, and you can't do it unequally, right? So one law applies to white folks that doesn't law to black folks, right? Or vice versa. Which is what they tried to do. Uh, which And they continue to do it for years and years and years and years and years, basically since 1619. There's always been double standards in America. We as black people know that. Women should know that too. But don't get it twisted out here that all women are united on this issue that just happened. They're not. If that was the case, 
then 53% of white women wouldn't have voted against a white woman to be president of the United States. And how, oh my goodness, has that changed everything, right? So when Roe v. Wade was overturned last week, when you look at the composition of the court that, and especially those who voted to overturn it, that 2016 election set made that happen because instead of the first woman president being elected, it was Donald Trump. And Donald Trump got one appointee legitimately. And then, and, and there's a question about that too. But he got three appointments, right? He got one that should have been Obama's, thanks to Mitch McConnell. But based on the way that the gentleman that Obama wanted in the court is acting as attorney general. I don't know. Yeah. He had to make a decision if he was on Supreme court, right? Cause he doesn't seem like he can make a decision as attorney general. So that was a bonus. And then Well, I guess one legit because Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away. So you had to replace her. But the 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 other one I'd say was the bonus was Kennedy resigning, right? Now never mind the fact that Kennedy was getting financial help from a member of the Trump family, even though it was through a legitimate bank thing, the guy who handled the account was related to the president. So yeah, just so happens that coincidence, right? But then Trump is president, then he resigns. And that created another vacancy. And then with, RBG dying that created three. And so had Hillary Clinton had been elected, don't think we would have seen what happened as far as the case being overturned. on the 24th of June, 2022. Don't think that would have happened. Just hunt. So, that's one thing we've got to keep in mind. And then there's, there's some friction. Let's get away. There's some friction with women of color and white women. Where 
I am a little concerned that people are not going to respond the way that they need to respond. I think the majority of people that are activists that want to see something happen uh, will do what they can. But again, you know, the January 6th hearings from a political standpoint, it's not going to generate enough buzz to get people to switch and vote for Democrats. And I don't think the overturning of World v. Wade is going to do the same because the same kind of discontent leads to disillusionment. And and to me, it's not going to motivate people. People are going to find an excuse more than motivation to vote. And that may sound negative and all that, but I, I'm just when when you see people use these platforms that have some cachet, people that have been activists who basically are, are looking at each other with distrust. You can't build a movement off that. You can't build a movement off mistrust. You can't. How can you? How can you say, well, we're going to fight this and that, and you don't trust the person that you're fighting with? And I'm not saying that they should trust them. I'm not saying that they're not justified in their concerns. I'm just saying, don't get your expectations up that something's going to change if that friction is out there. Right? And and something needs to change because these victory laps, these, I mean, there's a reason why they call it white supremacy, right? Because white supremacy is that notion that I am better than you. And if you've ever played sports or you watch sports, when somebody knows that they're better than the other person, they flaunt it. They get out there, they'll talk trash. They might walk a certain way. They'll do celebrations, whatever it does to bring it home to you that I'm better than you. Other than what you do within the confines of the rules of the game. You know, baseball is the bat flip, right? Basketball is the posterizing dunk, whatever it is. They flaunt it. And so that's what white people, especially those who totally subscribe and totally deliver the politics of white supremacy are doing. These the victory lap is there. And they're and they're pushing down our throats and then they're trying to talk to us as if we don't know any better. Right? We got one woman who literally is running for Congress again, who got in and she's a farmer. Her husband's a state legislator in Illinois. She's a congressperson. Unfortunately, they represent Centralia or currently do. And that's a city near and dear to my heart. That's where my grandmother lived. 
But this woman got up and said, this is a victory for white life. This is also the same woman who quoted Hitler in another speech, literally two days after she got sworn in. And her staff says, oh, those are mistakes. Or she really was trying to say something about the liberals and it came out a different way. She's a racist. <laughs> She's from Southern Illinois. She she represents the whitest congressional district in Illinois. It's like 90% white. This was the area of the state that Barack Obama had a challenge in. That's why Dick Durbin had to go down and campaign with him just so he could steal enough votes. So he could turn around and win that Senate seat. Right? So this this area is not a hotbed for liberalism, progressivism, or just plain normalism, right? And if I offend people of that, so be it. Because when I go to Effingham and people look at me crazy because I'm buying food, you know, or and, and the way that you treated black folks all throughout these years and, and all these other places in that part of the state, I'm glad you might have gotten over that, but you really haven't because you elect people like this woman, Mary Miller, and her husband, Chris. You elect those people. So that's the way you feel. See, when you elect people, the term is representative. They represent the district that elects them. That's the whole point. So if you got somebody that's saying that the overturn of Roe v. Wade is a victory for white life, that's how y'all feel. Because that's who represents you. Unless you prove otherwise and vote for somebody else. Fortunately, the Democrats gerrymandered the new district where you could get a Republican, but not that one that you currently have. You could get better if that's what you want. Gerrymandering is bad on either side, but it might work out in your favor if you are not supportive of a woman that thinks highly enough of Adolf Hitler to quote him and also claim victory for white people because of a court decision. If you don't want that, you do have an option. I think the name guy's name is Rodney Ellis. I think you have that shot. But if she wins, that obviously means that's how you are. Like in Georgia, they keep Marjorie Taylor Greene. They keep saying she's crazy, but she got reelected. At least she got renominated to run for reelection. She's been more out there than any of them. So that's so when I go to Rome, Georgia, I know what kind of people I'm dealing with. Period. I happen to go up to, if I got to go to the gas station or I got to go somewhere to you know, pick up something, I'll do that. But I know them folks don't like me and I know them folks don't care about me and I don't care how nice they might be. As long as I'm spending money, they're going to be nice. Because bartering is bartering. But I know I know what they say in their homes. I know what they say because 
of who they elect. You know, people try to hide behind all this stuff. And then, and then, well, I mean, people that say these things and then try to cover them up are, are, are arrogant people because they think that we're dumb enough to believe, oh, I really didn't mean to say that. I don't care how long you've been a human. If you've been a human, well, I'd say this. If you've been a human at least 18 years, you pretty much have an idea when somebody says what they really feel. You 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 got a good sense of that. And the older you get, the more skilled you become at it. But you know how these people really, really feel whether it's about you or about themselves, you know how they feel. Their politics drives that, right? Now, of course, then we got our folks helping them. We'll get into that a little later. But, and that's on both sides, by the way. But, to, 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 to watch that blatant act is just really, really saddening to me. It used to be infuriating to me, and I may sound infuriated, but I'm really not mad. I'm, I'm sad because it's just like when you're at a house, it, you're, well, it's your house or whatever. And you and you see a, a bug, right? And it just, you know, it just it just gets a little frustrating when you can't kill it, right? No matter what you do, if you spray, you know, you might hit or whatever. But but you see this bug problem. You get the exterminator in, and they they still can't get rid of it. Right. That's basically how I feel about white supremacy. It's just it's just this thing that we can't kill. We can't get rid of it. We've you know, no matter what kind of extermination plan we have. It just won't go anywhere. And it's almost to the point where I was watching, rewatching the documentary about baseball that that Kim Burns did. And when you hear some of the players talk, especially the ones during the era, like the 60s, 70s and 80s, they talk about the dynamics of race. It's almost like they had gotten to a point where. Yeah, okay, well, we're able to play now, but that's it. And all this other racism that we have to deal with, we just have to deal with it and get out here and play ball so we can get paid. Never mind the fact that we didn't have any rights as far as being players outside of being allowed to play and play the position that we're assigned to play. But as far as 
a lot of that stuff as far as moving up to possibly be a manager or a general general manager or anything else, that was out of the question. And literally people thought that the black players were skilled enough to play the game, but not intelligent enough to manage the game or to strategize. So in their mind, they thought everything that a black player did was instinctual, right? It's that same mindset overall that they just don't believe that we are smart enough to figure out what they're trying to do. Never mind the the constant reminder in January of a man who led a movement against it, who was one of the main leaders anyway. Never mind that reminder. You still think that you can get over. This was a victory for white life. Oh, no, I didn't really mean to say that. I meant to say right to life. Nice try. And then we got my man who thinks he's the smartest lawyer in America, John Cornyn, the senator from Texas, who, after President Obama expressed his displeasure over Roe v. Wade being overturned, said Plessy v. Ferguson slash Brown v. Board of Education, which in the mood and the moment, any black person that saw that was like, you racist so-and-so, such-and-so, and they, they should have, right? But it was on emotion and not logic. So what Cornyn was trying to say, because he came up with a following treat, was that or at least that's what he was trying to say that he was trying to say was that (laughs) bad law has been overturned before or bad decisions is overturned before. So that's a good thing. That's what the court does. Okay. So, you you were trying to tell black people, no, I'm not racist because I'm not against Brown versus Board of Education. I'm actually saying I'm in favor of it because of Plessy v. Ferguson, which talked about separate but equal. So you're saying that Roe v. Wade is the same type of decision as Plessy v. Ferguson, which... And there's some debate to me about which one is worse, Plessy Ferguson or Dred Scott. But most legal experts say Plessy versus Ferguson is the worst decision ever made by the United States Supreme Court. Because it, by their basic understanding of the 14th Amendment, it was totally opposite of what the 14th Amendment was trying to do. And they use some specious argument that this was about health and safety. So black people being in the same railroad car as white people 
was a health risk or a safety risk. And the United States Court, Supreme Court legitimized that in 1896. That kind of thought process. And therefore, everybody now says that was literally the worst decision ever made. So for John Cornyn to equate Roe v. Wade with Plessy Ferguson, he's basically saying that Roe v. Wade was one of the worst decisions ever made in the Supreme Court. He's comparing it to Plessy v. Ferguson. And then he made the argument, well, Plessy was on the books longer than Roe. So that was worse. Eight years. So Roe v. Wade had been the law for basically 50 years, literally. And Plessy versus Ferguson was the law for 58 years before Brown. Okay, eight years longer. Good for you, John. You can do math. But here's the thing. You are fundamentally saying that Roe v. Wade was a bad decision. A lot of constitutional scholars, for whatever reason, said that maybe it was shaky. And that it was, it broke new ground, but basically when the Supreme Court makes a decision or has been making decisions throughout history, it's been literally new ground to interpret the Constitution and its amendments, what their intents were. So, and then you have Justice Alito who says that well, we're not going to go after anything else. But the way Roe was used and and saying that the 14th Amendment protected that right of privacy, that was wrong. But everything else is fine. Well, we heard that lie before from Justice Alito when he got confirmed during the confirmation process, him and four of the other people, well, three of the other people that that voted with him all said that Roe was president and that they weren't going to really mess with it, which we knew was a lie when they said it, which is why none of the, most of the folks didn't vote for them. (laughs) You know, um, Well, I'd say most because they got confirmed, but a lot of people didn't vote for them because they knew that they were lying. Especially when President Trump had promised that every person he would put on the Supreme Court would be anti-Roe v. Wade. He made that promise. And he delivered. And they got what they wanted. Right? So for people like Alito to say, well, nothing else is on the table, that's a lie too. And Clarence Thomas exposed that, and we'll talk about that more on the other side. Um, But 
this this whole dance this whole atmosphere is because we have allowed white supremacy to go on too long and I'll I'll continue that thought on the other side and so we're back and so what I was getting ready to talk about with Clarence Thomas who's basically exposing everybody else Alito lying um and that they're not going to go after anything else based on this ruling that they made. Right. So, but Clarence Thomas told the truth. He said this, we just getting started. Right. Cause you know, the same due process that we just shot, uh, argument that we just shot down for Roe we can shoot it down for same-sex marriage. We can shoot it down for contraception. We can shoot it down for reenacting sodomy laws. Right? So naturally, the LGBTQIA plus community is upset. And rightfully so. Because Justice Thomas pretty much told you, you're next. The Lawrenceville case and the Obergefell case, we're about to flip those two. All we just need is the lawsuit. It's going to take a couple of years because we got to get the lawsuit and go through the process, but we're about to flip those two if given the chance. And you know somebody's following the lawsuit. They're figuring out how they're going to do it right now. They're strategizing. There's organizations around the nation trying to put together how they're going to make that case happen. And... You know, and then the whole thing, you know, the, 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 the whole premise, which is why I read the fort, that section one of the 14th amendment to you at the beginning, the whole premise is that the whole argument is that people shouldn't be deprived of their freedom on a political whim. And when they say without due process, that means that prior to any lawsuit. So any legislative action, any ordinance, whatever, executive order, that basically tells you you can't do something, right? that's going to deprive you of 
your life, your liberty, your property has to go through due process. And it can't be unequal. If it's good for one citizen, it's good for the other. Right? That was the whole argument with same-sex marriage. If heterosexual couples can get married, then why can't same-sex couples? Right? Why is there two separate standards? And so the Supreme Court ruled that under the Equal Protection Clause, you're right. If they can get married, you can get married. Now, the state may have age restrictions of when you can get married and they may require a blood test and the Supreme Court says that's fine. You can get married in 24 hours or you have to wait three days. That's fine. But the issue is getting married, period. If that's what you want to do, then you should have the same right as everybody else. But Clarence Thomas thinks that the Equal Protection Clause doesn't apply to that. He doesn't think due process applies to that. He doesn't think due process applies to people making a decision whether they're going to get a birth control bill or not. Or buy a condom. Because that's contraception. Right? He doesn't think we have a constitutional right to do that. I mean, just think about that. If Clarence Thomas have his way, there'd be no contraception. Everybody would have to be straight. (laughs) You know? And if you have a baby, you got to have it. You, You can't get rid of the baby. But maybe, maybe he might allow you to adopt it. But the crazy thing is Samuel L. Jackson brought it out and some people thought it was kind of nasty, but legally it actually makes sense. Clarence Thomas might have to leave his wife because the 14th Amendment argument was what legalized interracial marriage. And if y'all didn't know, Clarence Thomas is buried a white woman. If y'all haven't figured it out. So all these rollbacks he want to do on these 14th Amendment due process and equal protection laws clauses, he, he wants to, he could very much impact the very thing that he has been dealing with for over 30 years. And that's who he's married to. But I guarantee he's going to stop short of that. He didn't bring loving into it when he was talking about flipping all these. He stopped on he stopped on that one. He didn't bring that up. But if you're going to go there, that's in play. And there are some people that sit on that court with Justice Thomas that wish that they could flip loving too. 
based on the same arguments that they flip bro. Because that's how white supremacy works. They don't want compromise. They want what they want. Compromise is what they deal with until they can get rid of that. So as long as Clarence Thomas is on their side, cool. But Katanji Brown Jackson, hell, that's a different story. They'll they'll love to make her marriage illegal. Because that's that's their mindset. That's where they are. Their mindset looked at the 14th Amendment in 1896. Said, so what? You gotta you gotta be in a separate train car. Separate but equal. Never mind the fact that on the building it says equal justice under the law. Truth is we have a separate system of law for you and a separate system of law for white folks. It's all quote unquote equal. There was one dissenter. There's one guy, Justice Harlan, who dissented in 1896 and he was the one who famously said that the constitution is colorblind there's no class system in america the law is supposed to be for everybody that's what he kind of said it's not what's really happened it's not what really is happening but that was his mindset And that actually is the aspiration and the goal. That's just as much as lofty as I have a dream, right? That's where we want to get to. We want to get to a point where the Constitution truly is colorblind. But, you know, my my response to that, the Constitution may be colorblind, but everybody else isn't. Especially the white folks that are in power, that want to remain in power and all that. And understand that there's layers to stuff. It's not necessarily an Illuminati kind of thing, but it's a class thing. You know, Harlan made the argument there are no classes. There are classes in America. There's rich folks, there's wannabe rich folks, and then there's broke folks. And there are some rich folks that have a certain mindset and others that have a different one, right? Because with money comes exposure and some people have taken that exposure and said, oh, wow, things don't have to be this way. And there's others that are exposed and say, oh, well, they can't know that they would have this option because then they'll want more freedom and we can't have that. 
and and those people that see a better support political people that push that agenda. And of course, the people that don't want to see a better America, want America to stay under white control, they support politicians that push that agenda. So when you when you fuss at the politicians, remember, first of all, they came from your neighborhood. They came from your community. These were not some robots that came out of some factory. These are people that actually are your neighbors or are representative of the community you live in. Right? They, they, they're human beings that because of your votes, they've been given a responsibility to govern. But understand that the people who gave them money to run the campaigns to convince you to vote for them somewhat control them. So when you're fussing at a politician, maybe you can get that person, especially at the local level, you could probably get that person to change their mind or you know, work on pushing into something that needs to be done. The higher you go up, the more the influence clouds their judgment and their ability to reason and their ability to listen. And if they're more concerned about the money than they are policy, then they're going not to listen to you or change their mind about things. And so there are wealthy people that want abortion to be outlawed in the United States. And a lot of them are white. And they've been on this crusade, it's been a family crusade or whatever for generations. And now they finally have achieved what they wanted. So now people have been asking, and and so when you're trying to deal with these politicians who are putting it, you know, they're 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 following orders. They believe in it. If they didn't believe in it, they wouldn't be out here running and they wouldn't be out here espousing it. They truly didn't believe what they were saying. And they wouldn't have been able to convince the people to give them money to stay in office if they didn't believe in what they were saying. So let's be clear about that. All right. But understand these these people these people want to maintain order and they're going to do anything possible to make that happen anything that they think is going to upset that apple cart then their job is to make sure that they put out messages that divide or put people in places that will divide the communities and and distract them enough to 
stop any kind of momentum to change what's going on. So you, what I encourage people to do is to really whatever you're angry about, whatever you're frustrated about, channel that into a couple of things. I'll say three. One, use the energy to educate yourself totally about the issue. Get to understand why it is what it is. A lot of people are like, well, I don't want to be bothered with history and all that stuff. And that's it. If you don't, if you, you can't kill a weed at the top, you got to get to the root or it's just going to grow back. And that's what everybody's been trying to do. They don't want to get to the root. They just want to stop the weed when they see it. And, and that's why white supremacy is still here. Nobody's getting to the root of it. They just, you know, deal with it when it, when it shows up in Charlottesville or any other place they protest. Right. But, You got to find out why this is what it is. How did this come to be? Why did we, why are we even in this place in the first place? Right? So educate yourself about the issue, the nuances, all that stuff. And then use that education to activate, right? You got to get people, other people, you got to do your best to talk to these people politicians maybe you might can find a couple to have a conscience but you know and I'm talking about the congressional level I'm not at the local level and all that stuff you can sway but even then it's getting pretty intense right as far as changing minds but you can do that you can try it and, you, and you've got to Really, you gotta you gotta create pressure, and the only way you can create pressure is by activating, which means organizing and 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 teaching and all these other things, right? And then the last thing, which actually takes the least amount of time, is actually showing up and voting. There are people, literally, in this election cycle that are hoping that people don't vote so they can win. It's one side that doesn't want, that thinks that particular people are gonna be frustrated enough, they're not gonna show up. So they think they're gonna win that way. And there's other folks that are hoping that people are disillusioned enough, you know, have lost hope, figure there's no way out, and then they won't show up and then they'll win. The people that they want to show up are the ones that they can scare the bejesus out of to get them to vote, vote emotionally. If you don't vote for this, this is gonna happen. If you don't vote for me, that's gonna happen. So you want people to vote on fear 
And the fear folks tend to be, for whatever reason, the true believers. Disillusioned folks tend to be the ones that like, I think things could be better, but I don't know how to make that happen. Or I've tried to make that happen and I don't see any results from it. But what really should be the main focus of any elected official is to create hope. Every, every year, every day is going to be a challenge in the social order of the world. Every day. And there's some spiritual context behind that. But every day, it's going to be a challenge in the world. And what's supposed to get you from day to day is hope. And if the elected leaders or the potential elected leaders don't tap into that, then the only thing that could motivate people to vote is fear. Which is kind of ironic because fear usually paralyzes people. Usually makes them inactive, but in politics, they developed a skill set to use fear to actually get movement. And, and dampen hope. And I'm and I'm I'm just I'm just frustrated because that's where we are. But the reason why I do what I do is because I still have hope. I still have hope that somebody's going to pay attention and that it motivates them to do something constructive. No, no, no. I, 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 I always have to struggle Right. And one of the guests last week said it is like, you've got to have hope or else the cynicism will take over. The, the, the fear will take over. You've got it. You got to have hope to keep pressing. So I'm looking at the news and this is kind of off subject, but I'm looking at the news and I see somebody shot two employees at a subway because they put too much mayo on the sandwich. Now, this was in Georgia, a state where everybody can carry a gun now. So this is what you get for that. <laughs> Now we we get to a fast food place. We don't like the food. We'll shoot the people that work there who was making less than $15 an hour. Trying to make your sandwich. You don't like it, so you kill them. Well, kill one, wounded the other one. I, I bring that up because in that kind of environment, how can you really be hopeful, right? You know, when we talk about this big thing about overturning the rights of citizens, 
how can we have hope in fighting that when we got to deal with stupid stuff like that? Like shooting people over mayo. How do you press on from that? You just have to. There's no magic formula to that. Whatever, whatever gets you going, you just got to go. Because that gun issue is a whole other issue that you need to press on with that and and fight that, right? But you can't lose hope in, in seeing a better place. And you really can't keep your hope contained either. You can't just say, well, I'll be hopeful and just go about my business and not do anything. No, it has to be contagious because that's the only way society can change is that hope prevails. One day, I envision a world where people like Clarence Thomas and Alito and John Cornyn and Mary Miller and all of, you know, they, they're just in a box. They're just literally, that would be my dream, that they would be literally like in some little corner of America where they could just hang out together and dream all these white supremacist thoughts and they'd be isolated from the rest of the nation that has moved forward and learned how to cooperate with each other and to try to continue to make a better world for our children and our grandchildren without downplaying them by social constructs, right? And economic disadvantage. That that would be the that would be my dream. Never mind, you know, the you know, the soliloquy of great people like Dr. King and others, mine is very basic. Just do them like God did Cain. Send them somewhere else and just let them be in exile amongst themselves. And the rest of us will learn to reason and ration, be rational together and, and move forward. But as long as these people exist, as long as these people are interwoven in the fabric of American democracy, we're going to get decisions like Roe v. Wade overturned. We're going to get politicians that think that that's the best thing to happen to white people. We're going to see laws that say everybody carry a gun like you on gun smoke, right? We're going to see that. Because the bottom line is that as long as white folks are in charge, everything's fine. That's the political mantra. And if, if we get caught up in saying, okay, well, white folks got to have guns in the street and white folks got to do this and they got to have babies and all that stuff. So that's why I'm so hard on it. That's why I'm I'm so redundant about it to the point where if, if I'm offensive, great. <laughs> because white supremacy offends me as a black person. 
it's a totally, it's been offensive to me for 57 years. So now me saying I'm tired of it is offending to you. Great. Maybe you'll do something about it. Maybe you'll change. Because I'm not conforming to it any any longer. Not knowingly, anyway. I guess that's a psychological thing we're going to have to deal with on another show. But until we we really stop that, you're going to continue to have these moments. And it's white supremacy that's causing the distrust between white women and women of color to band together to fight this decision being overturned. All this stuff ties together. I know you hear me talk. I know you think I'm rambling and all this stuff, but it all ties together. And the bottom line is we've we've gotta we've gotta stop this mindset in America that's that's literally killing us. If we don't, then we're gonna get these same results and we're gonna get more disappointment. But I have hope. Until next time. All right, so I'll be remiss if I didn't try to give you some resources or avenues to um, deal with this decision. So some suggestions have been to donate to a fund that uh, would support women that you know are still trying to seek an abortion legally. Uh, there's a Yellowhammer Fund, uh, Indigenous Women Rising, and of course Planned Parenthood. Um, um, and if you want to get involved in advocacy or whatever, there's um, there's several groups. Uh, Sister Song, the National Latina Institute for Reproductive Justice, uh, and there's a group in Texas called the Afia Center. And you can, you know, just you know, look these sources up um if you need some more information uh two best organizations i know is NARAL and the aclu as well as planned parenthood but um as far as getting facts and legal you know possible legal strategies down the road those would be the two organizations to uh uh, reach out to and then finally we talked about in the podcast about activism um, talk to your state representatives and senators reach out to them via email phone call stop them in the grocery store whatever you gotta do 
and just let them know how you feel about this decision and and any legislation that would either strengthen that decision or codify Roe v. Wade. Um, and um, if you really are serious about and really are upset or frustrated about what happened, you can do something. Um, it may not seem like much, but as Jesse Jackson said about Jackie Robinson and his eulogy, that pond, that that rock you drop in that pond, those circles spread. No matter how small that pebble is, those circles get bigger as they go out. So the more that you get involved, the more that you can create ripples in that pond and maybe figure out a way to fix this problem. Um, again, until next time.